encourage you to take your Bibles and open them to where Pastor Paul left off, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Philippians 2, 12. And as you're turning there this morning, I want to put you in a dangerous scenario. Are you with me? Now, I did this to... What now? Okay, I thought, I thought you would motion for me, Joseph. We want to put you in a dangerous scenario, okay? So there's no real physical danger because it's, it's a scenario. I did it to Sandra. She didn't like it. So, but I'm still going to do it to you guys, all right? Here we go. This is the dangerous scenario. And you need to listen because you're going to need to figure a way how to get out of this dangerous scenario. All right, here you are. You are riding on a thoroughbred horse. I mean, it's a fast horse. It's a good-looking horse. You're on this horse, all right? That's good. The bad news is there's a ferocious lion on your tail right behind you. Now, to the right of you is a uh, sharp drop-off. To the left of you, there's an elephant running at your same speed, so you can't go this way or that way. And you know, the lion doesn't want the elephant. It's too big. But in front of you is a zebra. And you know, if I can overtake the zebra, I don't have to worry about the lion, right? But you can't overtake the zebra. What do you do to get out of this dangerous scenario? Safe and sound. Think just for a minute. If you think you figured it out, raise your hand. Don't say anything, but raise your hand if you think you figured it out. Jack's figured it out. Okay. Here's, yes, do you think you figured it out? Okay, anybody else? All right. Well, here it is. You wait for the ride to end. You get off the merry-go-round. <laughs> so how many of you figured it out? <laughs> uh, have you ever knowingly been in a dangerous situation? Raise your hand if you really knowingly been in a dangerous situation. Some of you probably, I think everybody probably has. We just didn't realize there might have been somebody was about to rob you, but you didn't see, you know, maybe the Lord angel that he sent to watch over you kept that from happening. But uh, when you're in a dangerous situation and you get out of it, what do you feel? Ooh, relief and joy, right? Woo, I'm so glad got out of that one <laughs> alive. See, every one of us though here has been in a far greater danger than having a ferocious lion on our tails. Every one of us has been in, in, a, in a situation far dangerous than that. And you might be asking, what are you talking about, preacher? I'm talking about being in the danger of the wrath of God abiding on you. There's nothing more dangerous than the wrath of God. See, a lot of people, we don't hear this kind of preaching much anymore. We don't be talking about this much anymore. But it's all throughout the Bible. It's all throughout the New Testament. Now we love verses like, and we should, we should love all the Bible. We love John 3.16, let's say it together, all right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, 
that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What's the main thing people hear? Love and everlasting life. Somehow we overlook that one word, perish. Perish. But it's in there. And the thing is, the good news is not good news until you fully understand the what news? The bad news. We hear love and everlasting, but there's also that word perish, that he should not perish, but have everlasting life. Later on in that same portion of Scripture that we know is John chapter 3, verse 36, Jesus goes on to say, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. But he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but, say it, the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God is hanging over him. And in any moment, that wrath could what? Could fall. There's nothing more dangerous than the wrath of God abiding over you. And every one of us has been there. Every one of us in this place has been there at some point in our life. Hopefully no one is in this situation today, but you could be. There could be somebody here. Just because you come to church, or maybe even a member of this church, does not mean the wrath of God is not abiding over you. I hope not. The wrath of God. In uh, Romans chapter 1, it talks about the wrath of God. I want to look there real quick too if you want to hold your finger in, in uh, Philippians chapter 2. But in Romans chapter 1 verse 18 it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The wrath of God is revealed. Now the uh, wrath of God is revealed really would better be translated is consistently revealed. The tense of the verb in the Greek language. The wrath of God is consistently revealed. He said, when we think about the wrath of God, we just think maybe like what? The end times when uh, the Lord comes and pours out all this wrath on the earth and we read about in Revelation and the Old Testament prophets and, and, and some other uh, uh, scriptures. We think about that. But it says the wrath of God is consistently and constantly being revealed. The word essentially means to be uncovered, to make visible, to make known. God reveals His wrath in two ways. Two ways. One, indirectly, and uh, that's through the natural consequences of violating His commandments. It's like the Bible says, you reap what you sow. It's just a natural consequence. Uh, if I speed and get a ticket, Am I to say God directly punished me? No. But indirectly, what? I broke what? I broke the law. And so I'm being punished with that. So you have indirectly God's wrath is revealed through the natural consequences of violating His moral law. And also directly through His personal intervention. You know, uh, God personally uh, uh, intervening 
and bringing his wrath on the subject of, of judgment, the person of judgment or the people of judgment. And we've seen this sentence passed down from the very beginning of the Bible throughout, throughout the end of the Bible. We see it first passed on Adam and Eve, the wrath of God uh, on them. To the worldwide flood, when God sent judgment on the whole world because of the wickedness of the world. From there, remember the story of fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah, right? That's direct, directly uh, the wrath of God fallen. We think about the captivity of the northern kingdom through the Assyrians. God sent judgment on that northern kingdom for their wickedness. And then the southern kingdom of Israel through the Babylonians. Uh, and th many places throughout the Bible we see clear displays of, of God's wrath directly being poured out. But none more graphic. None more graphic than God's holy wrath and hatred for sin being poured out in divine judgment on His own Son. On the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect sinless Son of God, the wrath of God being poured out on His own Son on the cross for sinners. The wrath of God. The wrath of God will fall. It's either going to fall on you ultimately, completely, in a place called hell, or the, your wrath is going to be has fallen on Jesus in your behalf. Now, God has various kinds of wrath. Uh, I want to mention uh, five of them. One, eternal wrath. And that's what we think of hell. When the Bible talks about hell. There's going to be eternal wrath of God in hell. Number two, eschatological wrath. That's what we read about in some of the prophets in the Old Testament and also in the book of Revelation and also in like in the last part of 1 Thessalonians, first part of 2 Thessalonians. It says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven uh, uh, when the Lord Jesus comes with His holy angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that do all kind of wicked things? Yeah, but it says, On them that know not God, who have not obeyed the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming in fire taking vengeance. That's eschatological wrath. And also cataclysmic wrath. Like the flood and that, that we see in the Old Testament. And the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Some major catastrophe. And we're going to see at the end times. Also, there's number four, there's consequential wrath consequential, which is the principle of basically sowing and reaping that I mentioned. Uh, it's just the consequences. If you drink a lot and you die of cirrhosis of the liver, what, what is that? Are you blaming God for that? No, it's consequential. It's just what happens. God said don't do these things. And then we have the consequential wrath of God through just sowing and reaping. Be not deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also... Listen, God's not going to be mocked. He's not, ah, ha, ha, God, I got away with it. That's not going to happen. It will not happen. And five, the wrath of abandonment. The wrath of God just abandoning you to yourself. You don't want that. You don't want any of these. And you don't want that. The wrath of abandonment, which is removing restraint and letting people go the way they want to headlong into their sin and the destruction that it brings. Now here is that fifth form 
God's abandoning of the wicked continually through history to pursue sin and its consequences. In Romans chapter 1, verse 22, it says that, that we already read in verse 18 where it said I, uh, uh, that for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And in verse 22 it says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible men and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. There it is. Therefore, God also gave them up to, un to uncleanliness and to the lust of their hearts to dishonor their own bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the, create, uh, the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed for, forever. For this reason, here it comes again, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for that which is against nature. Likewise, also men leaving the natural use of a woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. Here it is that same idea. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting being filled with all unrighteousness and sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgments of God that those who practice such things not only deserve death, not only do the same, but approve of those who practice them. Is that not seen any more clear than our country in the month of June? It's just as clear as day. And our government's trying to tell us Oh, be afraid. Be very afraid about the monkey pox. Hear about the monkey pox? I think donkey pox is more things we should be afraid of than the monkey pox. If you don't know what that means, just think about what the donkey symbolizes. But the monkey pox. And you got to talk to me. You got to start wearing masks. You know who's getting the monkey pox? People who practice what the Bible I just read about here in Romans chapter 8. Men with men doing things they shouldn't do. It's not meant to do. That's why you get diseases. AIDS was not like a, a direct judgment of God on that kind of behavior. It was an indirect because our bodies were not meant for that. It causes things to happen that should not happen. Just like shooting up with dirty needles and things like that. The wrath of God is being revealed, constantly being revealed on those who practice unrighteousness. The world, our nation, is under the wrath of God. 
Remember I talked about the five different kinds of wrath. Right now, it's very clear. We're under the wrath that God has what? Given us over to run headlong into all these perversions. Did you ever think we would get to the... I used to preach this... I was preaching this 15 years ago. People thought I was playing politics, and it had nothing to do with politics at all. They thought I was being crazy. You're going overboard. I said this was coming. I did not predict the point where we would all have to agree a man's a woman and a woman's a man. I'm not going to agree with that anyway. I did not predict that one, but it came. I said we were going to have to accept it. But I did not predict that we would have to what? Actually applaud it. And they're calling for you to applaud it. So uh, uh, we're, we're, God's given us over and uh, we could certainly be experiencing the other forms of God's wrath as well. It, it could be the end for our nation. I hope it's not. But you know what? It's not the end for my kingdom. My kingdom's not of this world. My kingdom, my king reigns and rules as we took, looked at in the Lord's Prayer this morning in our D groups. We, born again believers, see this today so clearly. It's clear for us to see, isn't it? If you can't see it, maybe you're not born again. It's so clear to see. The world can't see it. They, can't, they stumble in the darkness. They're stumbling all over. Why are we stumbling? Everything should be going well. We have a president in the White House that thinks everybody thinks should be going well. He doesn't understand what the problem is. We see it clearly. But, for the, but here's what we need to understand. And we look at it before we get on a high horse and look down our nose at anybody. We need to clearly say, but for the grace of God, there go I. You see some of these people that have just lost their minds and their wickedness and, and claiming to be uh, something that they're not and going all these different perversions and it's all celebrated by our country today and our world. But for the grace of God, that would be you and me. I mean, there are parents today taking their kids to the library to see a drag queen dance and gyrate in front of them and read in public libraries. There were parents that took their kids to a gay nightclub this past week in Dallas, Texas to see drag queens dance with thongs on and to put money. Parents were giving their kids dollar bills to put money as these, in these drag queens thongs. And then the kids got a chance to get up on stage and dance. This is... If this makes me angry, what does it make God? I mean, I see that. I want, to, I want to take some people out, honestly. And the police showed up. Right? Police showed up. And the police dealt with the ones protesting it. So you said, good. Well, it, well I thought good too. But it wasn't good. Because the police got onto the ones who were out there protesting. It's insane! If, you're born, if you can't see it, you're certainly not born again. I think even a lost person, lost as a, as a golf ball in high weeds, could see this is crazy. You have to be born again to understand that. But for the grace of God, there go I. And when we think about the grace of God, if you're saved and how it saved you, I mean, that should produce what in your heart? Joy in your heart. Thank you, God. Because that could, we could be that. That could be where we are today but for the grace of God we're not here today because we figured it out on our own we're only here because Jesus first loved us we love him 
Why? Because we figured it out? No, because He first loved us. We chose Him. Why? Because He first... What did Jesus say to the disciples? He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. The reason I'm setting it up this way is because we're talking about the joy of God's salvation. Until you, Aren't you so glad you're not a parent taking your kids to the drag queens dancing in the gay bars? Aren't you? Aren't you? You could be there, but for the grace of God. He saved you out of that foolishness. You could be there. And even more than that, He saved you from the eternal judgment in a place called hell. There should be so much joy in our salvation when we think of it. So let's look together. Uh, today we're only going to cover point number one. Next week we're going to cover the next points. And we're going to hit some things with Father's Day coming up. Some Father's challenges along with this. But let's read in Philippians. Let me turn back over it. Philippians chapter 2. Let's start at verse 12 and we'll read through verse 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, parents, dads, don't we want our kids to obey not only in our presence only? How many of you want a kid that's an Eddie Haskell? You know what? You know what I'm ta- who knows what I'm talking about? Oh, that's a lovely dress you have on today, Mrs. Cleaver. And then he would go do what? Bully up on uh, Beaver. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. Leave it to Beaver. You, you don't want an Eddie Haskell for a son. You want a son that's good whether you're there or not, or a daughter that's good whether you're there or not. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So you see joy. We're talking about joy today, but also involved in that is what? Fear and trembling. We're going to hit that part next week. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. If you're doing God's good pleasure, it's only because God's worked in you to do it. Do all things without complaining or disputing. Parents, dads, how many of us love that idea? Doing all things without complaining and disputing. That, I'm, that, that, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Didn't we just paint that out for us, what we're seeing today? among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run or labored in vain. How many, dads, how many of you want to, in that day when we stand before God, how many of you want to rejoice over your children there that you didn't run or labor in vain? Yes, And if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with uh, with you all. And for that same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And as, as we look into this a little bit further this morning, we ask that your Holy Spirit will look into our hearts. And, and apply this uh, to our lives. And I certainly pray, Lord, that there's no one here that's under the wrath of God right now. I pray if they are, God, by your grace and your mercy, that you would reveal that to them and, and they would turn from their sin, they would put their faith in Christ, that they should not perish, but have everlasting life.
In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. You know, when we think about Father's Day, we think about fathers and we think about children. We just had Mother's Day. And I hear parents a lot say this thing. I just want my kids finish it. To be happy. I just want my kids to... Now, I don't want my kids to be unhappy. <laughs> I don't want my kids to be miserable. How many of you want your kids to be purposely miserable? Andrew, uh, he's out serving warrants today, or he would have been here, hopefully. But uh, he one time said, I think you just had us to do work. <laughs> the, only, the only thing I ever asked him to do, he had the, the most the minimal job of all of the kids was to pick up sticks before I cut grass. That's easy. It's like it was the worst thing in the world. You just had me to work. Yeah, so we're spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in effort and heartache and sleepless nights just to have you to pick up some sticks with a lot of grumbling and complaining. Yeah. <laughs> it made him unhappy. But, you know, I'm sorry. Because I know if I let him continue to do that, he's really going to be unhappy throughout his life because he's going to be sorry and worth nothing. And probably be lost too. So, I mean, we want our kids to be happy, right? We want, them, we want to do things, we want to make them happy. But that's not my ultimate goal is for my kid to be happy. My ultimate goal is for my kid to be saved. For my kid to be holy in Jesus. And to be whole, being made holy day by day through the sanctify, sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God in his life, in her life. I just want my kid to be happy. That's why you see what's going on. Well, I think a lot of these parents taking their kids to these drag shows, they're wanting to push their kids into it because they want the world to applaud them. Oh, what an open-minded parent you are. Oh, how, do open, how you're so open-minded. That's what they're doing it for. They, get, they, 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 they think they're going to get some woke cookies. You know, the woke society will love them for it. Look how wonderful and tolerant these parents are. But a lot of the stuff is that it, even uh, Fox News uh, recently highlighted a story for uh, Pride Month, Pride, being prideful over an abomination to God Month. I highlighted a, a parents that call themselves Christians or believers. They said they believe in God. That their girl said to them that, that she was a boy and so they love their child and they want to be happy and so they let their girl grow up as a boy. And Fox News presented in such a way this is good. And I'm thinking, I want to be happy. I'm thinking, my goodness, a little child. Your child, I want to be happy. Let me stay up late. No, you must go to bed. What that's saying is, a child, the children, they can pick, they can't pick their bedtime, but they can pick their gender? It's insane. Insane. Well, I want my child to be happy. They think they're this or they're that or whatever. And you know where they're getting this idea from? Disney, cartoons. Not just Disney cartoons, but all the cartoons have this mess in it. Promoting it. And they get this idea. Uh, what's the, the Sesame Street little baby characters? What's that show? With the... 
It's, it's not like a big, big bird, but it's like a baby, big bird, and a baby, gonzo, and a baby this and a baby that. Thing. It's, a, it's the Muppets thing. or whatever. They're promoting it. And they're getting this idea. And then so the parents, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to be a mean parent. Listen, you, for their own good, you won't let them pick their bedtime. But you think they're smart enough to pick their gender? Insane. Insane. Well, I want them to be happy. Nobody who picks that direction is happy. They're all miserable. They're all miserable. They're all lost. I, it breaks my heart. There are some people who actually do struggle with gender identity. There really are people who struggle with that. They, they, they didn't choose it. They really do struggle with it. And your heart should go out for, to them. You should pray for them. You should be a friend and try to help them. But you don't agree with them in their what? Delusion. If someone's anorexic, do you put them down for being anorexic? No. You do not. But you also don't say, let me take you to the doctor to let him with the lithosuction machine suck the remaining fat out of your body. You don't do that either, do you? It's insane. So we love people. We care about their struggle. We hurt with, with them. But agreeing with them and what their delusion is is not helping them. It's not love. And parents, you know, they just want their children to be, they, they say they want their children to be happy. I want them to be happy, but first and foremost, I want them to be right. I want them to be saved. I want them to be, want them to be right with God in a right relationship with God, going in the right direction. Not perfect because none of us are perfect. None of them will be. But we want them uh, in a right relationship with God. We want them to, in, in having that, we know what will they have. They'll have something better than happiness. What will they have? It's the three-letter word that begins with J. Joy. They'll have joy. We want them to have joy, which is far better than happiness. The epistle to the Philippians is known as the epistle of joy. Joy is mentioned four times and a rejoice, which is a, a call of herb telling us to have joy, to be joyful. The word rejoice is mentioned ten times. This is in your notes. Out of the total 47 times in the New Testament. Rejoice in the New Testament is mentioned 47 times. And ten of those times is in this little letter, this little epistle. So it truly is the epistle of joy. That's why I titled the message, The Joy of God's Salvation. The rest of this message today is going to be about point one. The joy begins with having it. Next week, we're going to look at the joy deepens with living it. And uh, thirdly, the joy expands by sharing it. But today, we're going to look at the joy begins by having it. It says in verse 12, your own salvation. Your own salvation. You know, when I was a little kid, if you had asked me, am I going to heaven? I would have said... Yes, I was brought up in church. I would have said yes. I would have said, yeah, my mom and dad are Christians. My grandparents are Christians. I'm a Christian. I thought I was a Christian via what? The old figure speech, coattails. I was going to ride to heaven on my, parents coat, on my grandparents' coattails. You've heard that expression before? You can't get to heaven that way. But I thought that. I said, we're a Christian. We're in a Christian nation, right? I thought I was a Christian. Everybody's basically, if you go to church, you're a what? You're a Christian. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. I believe that. I thought that. 
But it says your own salvation. You know, I can have it. We can pray over our children and talk to them about it. But it's got to be their own. One day, it's got to be real to them. One day, they've got to call out on the name of the Lord to be saved. Now, here's what's sad. I read a uh, uh, Barner uh, survey. Back, this was about a decade ago. A little over a decade ago. And back then, of parents who claim to be born again, children of God, only three out of ten of those parents included salvation in their child's list of critical parental emphasis. Only three in ten. There's nothing greater to emphasize in your parent and your children than that. You want them to have their own salvation. And there is no greater joy than being saved. Remember, can you remember go back in the time, remember when you were saved? Do you remember the joy that you had? Remember the joy that you had? I remember when I was saved, I was on a revival trip with my church. On a vacation Bible school trip with my church in West Virginia. And I remember that first night we went all over town knocking doors inviting everybody to come to the revival at night, vacation Bible school during the day. That night, no one from town showed up. I wanted to go back home. No, back home, but back to the camp to play volleyball. We had a volleyball net we set up in our camp. We were camping out in tents. So we, I want to go back and play volleyball. I didn't want to go. Why well, do I have a worship service when none of the sinners showed up from town? That night I got saved. You know what I wanted to do all of a sudden all the time? I wanted to worship the Lord with God's people. I mean, every time the church doors were, I wanted to be there. I don't care if only the ladies were having a Bible study. I wanted to be there. I wanted to be around people who love the Lord, who worship the Lord, who sang the songs of God's grace. I wanted to be a part of that. I had joy in my heart. I was so happy the Lord saved me. Now, have I had, have I had that continuous amount of joy throughout my life? No. I don't think we, none of us do. I think that times where it, quite, it ebbs and flows, isn't it? We have the cares of life and the world that comes. And I think God gives us that great experience of joy at the very beginning to what? We're babies. To help us. We need it. We desperately need that. But then God weans us off of what? the feelings and everything, to learn for us to walk by faith, not by feelings. But we should still have that joy. Sometimes you got to think about it. Sit down and think about it. Sandra and I, we have a song that we really love. We, we learned that song in, um, in, uh, at a church in Phoenix City, Alabama, when we would go visit our daughter who was in Teen Challenge for 18 months because she wouldn't listen to us and we cared about her soul and we sent her off. Hardest thing we ever had to do. And at that church, I would sing this song. When I think about the Lord, how He saved me, how He raised me, how He picked me up and turned me around and placed my feet on solid ground, it makes me want to shout, Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus! I love that song. And what we need to do is think more thinking about the Lord, how He saved us and what He brought us out of. And it brings great joy. And then when we saw, he, he changed the heart of our daughter while she was there. She wasn't just doing it now because she had to. She really had a genuine heart change. We saw it. And we were so, there was so much joy in that. So much joy. Even in difficult, hard times. There's no greater joy than being saved and knowing it. 
Do you say, preacher, you can be saved and not know it? Yeah. You can be saved and not know it. I mean, you can be saved and doubt it. How many of you ever doubted your salvation? Raise your hand. I'm raising both. I've, doubted, I've had my salvation. Some people preachers say, if you ever doubt your salvation, that's a sign you've never been saved, baloney. You know how, that, you know how I know that's baloney? Because the whole book of 1 John, the whole epistle of 1 John was written that you can know. Why would God give us a whole epistle that was written for us to know that we're truly saved if we didn't doubt it? <laughs> he did it to help us. 1 John, write it down, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says, uh, These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. So you could be saved and not knowing it. But how, how much joy is it to be? Because when you're saved and you're not sure, there's not a lot of joy with that. And you want the devil... Here's what I know. The devil lied to me. The devil lied to me. And he lies to you. He lied to me every Sunday when I sat there in church. If somebody ever asked me, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I was lost and headed for hell. He lied to me. And I found out when I got truly saved, you know what? He still lied to me. It was just reverse. How can you be saved? Look what you just said. Look what you just did. He lied to me. My salvation is not on my performance. My salvation is on Christ's performance. His was perfect, flawless. And my salvation is in Him. But He'll lie to you. and make you, he'll, Why would the devil lie to you about that? Because if you're, if you're confused about your salvation, you're not going to be out there sharing it with others. See, God wants you to be a shouting Christian, not a doubting Christian. He wants you to be a no-so Christian, not a hope-so Christian. He wants you to be an exclamation point, not a question mark. So there's so much joy in, in, in being saved and knowing you're saved. And what about this? Knowing you can never lose it. Woo! Right? How much joy does that bring? Knowing that you're saved and that you can never lose it because it's not in you, it's in who? It's in Christ. Having it. The joy begins in having uh, this salvation. In Romans chapter 8, it says this in chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, how much condemnation is there for you? Zilch. None. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Does that mean we walk perfectly? No. But we, to walk according to the Spirit means you're letting the Holy Spirit guide you. And when you sin, the Holy Spirit does what to you? It convicts you, right? And then it goes on to say in, in chapter 8, look at verse 29. It says, For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. And whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. I mean, it's, we're not in our fully, totally glorified bodies yet. That's going to come when the Lord returns. But it's as good as done. He's already done it. It's going to happen. What then shall we say to these things? Here it is. If God is for us, who can be against us? Why are we down? Why are we discouraged? 
There might be all kinds of things against us in this world and culture. But if God's for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He, not along with Him, freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Satan's always charging us. He's the accuser of the brethren. But it's God, it's God who justifies, not Satan, not our adversaries. We want the world to say, you're good, you're good, we like you, you're nice or whatever. Who cares what the world says? They're not the judge. God is. And he says what to you? No condemnation in Christ. It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, it is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of, uh, of, the, of God who, all, who also makes intercession for us. The one who condemns is the one who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now if that doesn't give you joy, something's desperately wrong. Joy. And, and joy, does, does joy mean that you're a Christian who always walks around with a smile on your face and you're always whistling and having a good time and just happy-go-lucky all the time? Does that mean what it means? No. Because even in times of joy, you can be what? Broken. You can be devastated. You can be grieved. But you still have that joy. I asked, my, I asked people uh, last Sunday morning in, in there to pray for my fishing buddy. Well, the Lord took him home. His service is going to be uh, on, on Tuesday and be a, a part of that service. And, you know, I'd look at it, look through our fishing pictures and it, I'm going to miss him. I know his family, I love his family, I know his family's going to miss him dearly. We have sorrow, but not as others who have no hope. There's a joy because we know where he is. And I sent my buddy, uh, who's it's his dad, I sent him a picture with his dad taking last April, holding up a big old bass. He's kicked back in his, in his, in his chair in the boat with the leg up like that with the big smile on his face. And I said, that's nothing compared to the smile he has on his face right now. Joy, people. You can't put a price tag on that. But even in our trials, there's joy. As Peter talked about in 1 Peter, write this down. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9. I'll, I'll read them, but write this down so you can meditate on it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You who are kept by the power of God. Not by yourself, but by the power of God. Through faith, 
for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. means to be fully revealed. It's already been revealed. Right now, if you're a child of God, you've been saved from the penalty of sin once and forever. It's a done deal. You are now being saved from the power of sin. God has given you victory over sin in your life through the sanctifying word of the Holy Spirit and the Word. And one day you will be saved totally from the very presence of sin and you'll never sin again. Saved to sin no more. Saved to sin no more. Till all the ransom church of God be saved to sin no more. That's what it means to be revealed at the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Can you raise your hand if you've been grieved by various trials? Raise your hand. And here's good news even in that. You know what those trials do? They come to refine your faith. Your faith is gold. But guess what? It has impurities. But those trials are like fire and they come and they burn out all those impurities which makes your faith even more, much more precious, pure gold. That the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see Him, yet believing, even in these trials, you re with joy, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What did Paul say? What did Paul say in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12? Your own salvation. Do you have it? Do you, is it your own? Think about the joy. I think about Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is the only time where a parable. Jesus teaches a parable to teach a lesson. It's the only time where He told three parables back to back to back. The only time you hear that is when they have, like in a baseball, I love it when the Braves, they go back to back to back. That means they hit three home runs in a row. But back to, it's the only time Jesus tells a par, three different parables back to back to back with the same message. Who knows what that is? Who can guess right now? Luke 15. Can you remember? Something about Lost. Lost coin, lost sheep, and lost son. What was the theme of, what was something very predominant in each of those stories when something was found? What happened? There was great rejoicing. Come rejoice with me. Come rejoice with me. And the, and the last one, the, this prodigal son came home. He said, let's kill the fatted calf. Let's make merry for this my son who was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. There's great joy in salvation. The joy begins by having it. When you have it. And it also, when, when your others, when your family have it, and others have it. Think about the Philippian jailer who had fastened Paul and, Sil fastened Paul and Silas and after they had been beaten with rods and shackles in a dungeon. We know the story. Paul and Silas were uh, praising the Lord, singing in, in prayer. And the, the uh, earthquake came, jail doors flung open, their chains were released, and the, uh, the in I mean the innkeeper, yeah. The prison keeper was, took a sword, about to kill himself because he knew he was going to be killed if any of the prisoners, prisoners got out. And Paul said, do yourself no harm, we're all here. And he ran in there to, to them and he fell at the feet. What must I do to be saved? What happened? 
He and his, house, he, he and his household were saved. And it says in verse 33 of chapter 16, and he, the, in, the, uh, 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 the prison keeper, and he took them that same hour at night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when they had brought them into the house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced believing in God with all of his household. Now Daz, let me ask you this. Is there anything in life that could give you more joy? Then let's say even on Father's Day, if you can get all your family together, and you can sit and eat with your family, knowing they all know and love the Lord. <laughs> There's nothing better than that. Forget the, the socks and the tie that they get you for Father's Day. Forget that. That is the greatest gift. That's the, the greatest thing you could ever have. And he was rejoicing because all of his household were saved. Dad, you have no greater responsibility in all the world than your own family, your children, your, 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 your wife. No greater responsibility than all to, is to, to lead them to Christ, to train them, to teach them, to plant the seeds of the gospel and God's word in their heart that it would one day bring fruit. Does that mean if you do all the right things that they're all going to be saved? No. They have a responsibility before God to answer to God for themselves. But you need to do the, by God's grace and help do the best you can to make sure you're, that you do it. I, I know some dads and some people that beat themselves up because their children chose to go a different way. Uh, I've got a question. What way did Adam and Eve choose to go? Who brought them up? Who taught them? Did he fail? Now none of us are perfect like God. And we do fail. But they're turning away. You could have done the best. You made mistakes or whatever. But that's on them. And we still don't want that. You still pray to your last breath, to your dying day. God save my son. God save my daughter. But that should, there should, there's no other greater responsibility than you have than that, dads. So as we're going to wrap this up, two questions. Do you know you are saved? <clears throat> right now, do you know that you're saved? Whether you're a dad or mom or whatever, you're young or old, do you know that you are saved? 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 says, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith or not. Examine yourself. Don't presume, don't assume you're saved. Examine yourself. Make sure that you are because you could be fooling yourself. And then 1 John, that I mentioned earlier, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you might know that you have eternal life. So if you have doubts, 1 John, you need to read that. 1 John is there to help you understand to bear the Spirit of God bears witness to your spirit that you are a child of God. Are you experiencing the joy of your salvation? If you're not experiencing the joy of it, maybe you're like, like uh, David was. Now hopefully you didn't do like David, commit, commit adultery and murder and cover it up. But when he did this and he was confronted about his sin, he admitted that his sin, that in his sin, even when he sinned before he was confronted, he 
admitted that God had broken his bones and he lost the joy of his salvation. And in Psalm 51 verse 12, in his prayer of repentance, he says, Restore to me, he confessed his sin. He said, God, please forgive me. And restore to me the joy of your salvation. Maybe you need to do that. Do you know that you're saved? And then B, do you know how to be saved? Do you know how to be saved? There's only one way taught by man. And you say, wait a minute, preacher. I hear you right. You said man teaches one way. There's only one way. I didn't say man teaches there's only one way. I said there's only one way taught by man. There's a difference. You might say, well, doesn't the world teach there are many ways to heaven? Yeah, they teach that. But the many ways is just one way. Whatever religion is, whatever they thought of, it's always, it's, put this down, write this two little word down, do. The world's way that they teach, they say it's many ways because it's Buddhism or it's this or it's that, uh, it's Islam or it's Judaism, it's Christ, they say whatever, but it's always this, it's do. D-O. Do enough good, you get in, right? That's the one way the world teaches. They might say it's many ways because they call it many different names, but it, I've studied every religion known to man. That uh, major religion known to man, we had to in seminary. They're all that. They're all based on your performance, what you can do. There's only one way revealed by God. And we know that way. The way is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So write down, done. What did Jesus say on the cross? Fathers, I'm dying for these people. Help them remember they've got to do their part. Is that what he prayed? What did he pray? It is done. It's finished. The Bible clearly says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It goes on in Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. What we all deserve and earn is death and judgment from God and the wrath of God. But the gift of God is eternal life. God doesn't want to give us what we deserve. He wants to give us a what? A gift. Do you earn a gift? No. It's freely given and you want and you receive it. But the gift of God is eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, God made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteous of God in Him. God took His Son who lived the perfect sinless life, sent Him to this world uh, to live that life and then to take our sins upon Himself and the wrath, God poured out His wrath on His own Son for us in our behalf, judged the, the sinless for the sinner who became our sin, and he Christ died and rose again. If we put our faith and trust in Him, we should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart. Most people in, a, in the southeast are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. The difference between the head and the heart. You believe in the heart. That God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you say through faith that not of yourselves it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Can you imagine if we got to heaven based on anything that we did? What would we be doing in heaven if you know human beings? What would we be doing? We'd be bragging, wouldn't you? 
Well, hearing what you talked about, what you did to get here in heaven, and somebody over here talking about what they did to get in heaven. Well, let me tell you what I did. I remember hearing this commercial on Christian radio back about 20 years ago. And it was some people in heaven that were bragging about what they did to get there. And there was a group, and all of a sudden this guy kind of was standing outside the circle uh, said, uh, he said, uh, he said, basically, that's all, that's all wonderful nice, but let me tell you what I did to get here. And he said, what did you do? He said, well, I single-handedly saved a little old lady from a gang of thieves. And they said, wow, when did you do that? He said, just a minute ago. <laughs> he was just dead in the heaven. But that's what we, we're not going to be told. We're going to be praising who? We're going to be bragging on who? On Jesus. But for by grace you have saved, not of works lest any man should boast, but it goes on to say, for we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It's not our good works that save us, it's our good works that show that we're saved. Let's close our eyes and let's go to the Lord in prayer. I want to, with everybody just thinking about the Lord right now and thinking about your situation, can you say you have your own salvation? as a gift from God through faith? Is it your own? Are you saved? Do you know it? Do you know you can never lose it? Do you have the joy of your salvation? If you're not saved, I just share with you very clearly what it takes. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin. Repent of your sin and put your faith in Christ and what He's done. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Heavenly Father, as we get ready to leave this place, as we are about to sing that doxology, praising you from whom all blessings flow, the greatest blessing is the blessing of your salvation. I pray that we as your people would be able to leave this place with the joy of our salvation what you've done. To go out to a lost, dark world to share it with a lost, dying world separated uh, from you in their sin. Where the wrath of God abides on them. More, we share, share the good news. And may your joy be, uh, 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 your joy of your salvation be real in our life, even in the trials that we might be going through right now. In the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll sing that doxology. And I'm going to turn off this mic before I start it because reflux is killing my voice. <laughs>